Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Bedros Koulian. Bedros is an American entrepreneur and a believer in the American dream. He and his family are immigrants who escaped communism and came to the United States to find freedom, opportunity, and a better life. Today, Bedros is a serial entrepreneur and an investor in over a dozen industry-leading brands and businesses. He's the founder of Fit Body Bootcamp, three times listed in Inc. Magazine, as well as Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Fastest Growing Franchise Brands in the World. Bedros is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Man Up, How to Cut the BS and Dominate in Business and in Life. Bedros believes in the power of the human spirit and uses the stage, television, social media, his podcast, and his blog to share his immigrant edge and American dream story to help inspire audiences worldwide to get unstuck and reach their fullest potential. He's here today to talk about his childhood, his experience with ADHD, the importance of initiating boys into manhood, and how to use impulse control in order to create results in life. It is my pleasure to welcome Bedros Koulian. Hey, Bedros. Roman, great to see you again, my friend. Thank you so much for the opportunity. My pleasure. I just want to thank you for inspiring my son to step it up. And at 14, he's now at the gym. This is after taking the course you created, Squire, where fathers and sons come together to really push their limits. And it's I call it the boot camp, the family boot camp, because uh, it's affected our whole family. And I just want to thank you for being a role model for young men to or for young boys to become men. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you and Kai came out, man, because the Squire program was was something that I knew had to get done. And I knew our culture was missing. It's been happening for thousands of years. And for the last maybe 100 years, it's just kind of gone away. A rite of passage for boys as they enter manhood. And no better person to guide that young man into manhood than his father, uh, and while we have sometimes older brothers or uncles or even grandfathers bring those uh, young boys in when the father is absent or out of that young man's life, a young man does need a older mentor to to kind of usher him into uh, the rite of passage into manhood. And you and your son, man, when you guys came out, Roman, it was just so awesome to you guys see see you guys working together to going through all the different evolutions. And then here you're telling me now he wakes up so early and you guys are working out together. You start holding each other accountable, man. And it becomes like your, your best, a built-in best friend. Like what else can you ask for? Absolutely. I am so grateful for that time, right? That's our connection, our bond at the gym. Cause realistically we don't spend like face to face more than an hour, hour and a half, two hours a day, you know? So to have that be quality time that affects him in a positive way and me, it's just so great. And I love, uh, and I will have a link in the show notes about the Squire program, highly recommend it to any father and son, uh, you know, go do it. Uh, I'll share more about that. But I just want to take us all the way back to uh, obviously ADHD. I heard a really great uh, a video that you posted on uh, Instagram the other day 
I'm not on Instagram, but a friend of mine sends me the perfect things I need to hear. Right. And I was like, he's like, Hey, here's this guy who I'm like, I know this guy. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I just want to ask you, as I ask so many guests, what is to you, Bedros, what is ADHD? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's so cool that you're not on Instagram, but you have someone who's a friend that you trust who curates content for you. Like <laughs> I need to find a content curator for me and just go, Hey, here's what you you would be interested in. B. I love that. Um, but, but yeah, you know, when we, when we came to America, my family and I escaped the Soviet union when I was six years old and we escaped and we came to the United States, uh, about a couple of years into being here in the United States. So by 1982, um, I was about eight years old, uh, the school system, the Anaheim, uh, union school dis- district, uh, decided to do a, I don't know if they did a, a, a study or research on all the kids, or if it was just the kids in special ed like me. And I was in special ed because, um, I didn't speak English. And so I needed the special education by way of English as a second language ESL. Um, and so, you know, they, they deduced that I had ADD. I didn't have ADHD, but they deduced that I had ADD attention deficit disorder, uh, and I assume you drop that H in there. It's, there's a hyperactivity. I was never really hyperactive, but I certainly did not pay attention. And when I tried, when I seriously tried to pay attention, Roman, I remember how difficult it was. And I remember the school teachers having conversations with my parents saying, look, his grades are awful. He just, just doesn't pay attention. He doesn't follow the rules. It's almost like he's physically here, but mentally elsewhere. I remember them saying that. And I also remember, um, and, and you have to, keep this in mind, coming from a foreign country, uh, corporate, like, like, like punishment wasn't just, Hey, we're going to restrict TV or you can't go outside and play with your friends. My dad was so pissed off at me. And he said, look, get your grades up. I don't have time for school teachers to pull us in. The dude was working like three or four jobs. And he said, get your grades up or I'm just, I'm going to give you the beating of your life. And so I certainly was incentivized by my dad to get my grades up, to pay attention. But I remember, man, try as I might, I just was unable to pay attention. Um, And I believe part of that, and when I put that post up where I said, you know, I believe ADD or ADHD is just, you give me something that I'm massively interested in and I will lock on. Because that is what I've noticed about someone who's ADD or ADHD. They also have this OCD component to them that I believe is a superpower that once you give me something that I'm interested in, man, I will lock on like no one's business. And but if I'm not interested in try as I might, I'm not going to get there. And so the school district put me on Ritalin. And I remember some days feeling like I just had super strength and super energy. Uh, They would put me on high doses and low doses until they found the right dosage. Uh, But nevertheless, it None of it really worked. I remember once the Ritalin wore out by the end of the day, I was like ravenous. I was just hungry. And so I wouldn't eat all day long. And then I would eat at night and I would eat just anything in front of me as a young man. And um, which kind of made me fat and overweight. And so now you're a foreigner. You barely speak English. You're in ESL classes and, and special ed classes. Now you're also overweight. Like, can I give them any more reasons to laugh at me, right? The other students. And so, uh, but ADD to me, man, has become a superpower because when I when I channel it into the things that I'm interested in now, um, like entrepreneurship, like serving humanity, like figuring out how to help men break through their limiting beliefs, like these are all the things that I'm passionately driven by. My ADD will put me in such a deep level of lock on 
my wife calls it lock on. She goes, you lock onto something like a, like a dog on a bone and forget it. You don't let go until you develop mastery onto the, on that topic. Um, however, if you, you know, the other day, a friend of mine who's really good at math, um, we were both at an event and he checked out of his room. I got out of my room. I go, Hey, do you remember your school, your, your room number? And I don't know what the number was. Let's say it's 3517. And he goes, yeah, 82 divided by whatever. And I go, what? He goes, oh, yeah, when you divide 82 by this, it gives me the, my room number, and that's how I remember it. Like, I'm like, dude, you're weird. Like, I don't understand that. Like, that, I don't have that level of intelligence, and you put math in front of me, you put history, you put English in front of me. I don't care for it. But you put whatever I'm interested in, and, uh, you know, surfing, mechanical stuff, like has to do with cars or how things work or entrepreneurship, and, man, I'm a dog on a bone. So it's a gift, but in the regular world where they try and make you into human slaves and human robots – it is a curse. Yeah, I, I love that. That is well said, because I think the system, the way it's set up right now is not inclusive. We, we try to say, oh, it's, we're all inclusive. It's not inclusive to people who, what I call, have this type of brain. And I believe it's it's can be rewired or it can be used as a superpower. It's up to us, right? But I believe, and there's a study that I think a 75% or something of entrepreneurs have ADHD or would have been diagnosed with ADHD because we need, uh, and I include myself, we need multiple stimulation. We need not just one business, multiple businesses. We want to be excited, move on to something, create something, create the next thing, right? So you are obviously living proof that uh, that we can use that skill or that that brain wiring to create success. I mean, you've created multiple companies. You have uh, uh, the Fit Body boot camp and and just to name a few there's true lean which by the way i got myself today the what is it the uh ginger turmeric ginger yes wellness i ordered that <laughs> i saw it in a podcast i was like i was just talking to a friend i'm like i love ginger and turmeric and i i, I just bought some zinc and vitamin c and then you mentioned it, and i was like oh well duh there's the combo right and oh, uh wow. And then also uh, uh, the T-shirt brand, you're wearing a Fuel Hunt. There's some really cool, cool stuff happening. So how did you go from uh, uh, being a bullied, uh, uh, I guess, middle school teenager in Orange County to really just grabbing a hold of life and, and, and focusing and building these companies? Well, uh, first off, I knew I was different. And the school system did not, especially during my time, they did not mince words. They made it very clear that I was different. I'm in ESL classes. I'm in uh, um, special ed classes. And they kept telling my parents that I'm going to be held behind if I don't get my grades up. But there was no help back then in getting my grades up. And even if there was, I probably wouldn't have done it anyway. And I just kind of somehow with low grades made it through all the way high school. But I always knew I was different and no one ever told me otherwise but the way they told me i was different was always with this negative con context you know like you're different you're not going to make it i had one uh, in 10th grade mrs boyer uh i think she was my home ec teacher roman she said she, i do realize i upset her uh and i take full responsibility for that because i was sitting in her class i was looking out the front door and i saw my friend dave walk by and from my seat while she's teaching, I yelled, hey, Dave, how's it going? You wanted to go to the beach later today, right? Like, that's just stupid. If that wasn't ADD and just like not giving a crap coming out, I don't know what was. So she comes and she grabs me by my collar, picks me up, 
And she pins me against the wall and she's hitting me against the wall saying, you need to go to the military. They're the only ones that can set you straight. And so, of course, you know, feeling like I was different and Mrs. Boyer and everybody else has always told me that I'm different in a negative way and that I was probably going to be broke and destitute. When I graduated high school, I went to the Marine Corps. I uh, applied to go to the Marine Corps. And at the time, in 1993, I had flat feet. I still have flat feet. But in 1993, they were not taking anyone with flat feet. In fact, they took my friend Dave, who was 30 pounds overweight. They helped him lose weight. They put him on B12 shots. I remember this very clearly. They put him on B12 shots, and um, he lost the weight, and they took him. And I'm like, look, like, put some shoes on me. I don't care what it is. I could do whatever it is you guys need me to do. But Mrs. Boyer says I have to go to the military. You guys are the only ones that can set me straight. And I really believe this, like she was a person of authority in my life. And they're like, sorry, kid, that's not happening. And so for me, what I realized is the first, so then I realized, okay, well, what do I enjoy doing? Uh, At that time, I started working out because I was over fat all throughout elementary school, middle school, and high school. And when I started working out, I started building confidence. I started building consistency. Confidence, consistency got compounded by delayed gratification. I knew that if I kept going and I could delay gratification, I could get the physique that I want. And if I do this, I realized that delayed gratification multiplied by uh, confidence and consistency is discipline. And so those four traits then together helped me become this formidable force in terms of impulse control. All of a sudden, I can control my impulses more. And I share this with you because that's what helped me find my vocation as a personal trainer. I graduated high school took the ACE exam, American Council on Exercise, took the ACE exam. And by the way, because I'm horrible at all things school, I failed it three times. The fourth time is when I passed the ACE test. And uh, I was actually told myself, I was, if I don't pass it on this fourth time, then I'm not meant to be a personal trainer, move on to another career. Um, but as a personal trainer, Roman, I I met a gentleman named Jim Franco. And this was at the 24-hour fitness, or the LA Fitness in La Habra, California. He was in his 60s at the time. I was in my early 20s. And Jim Franco was a millionaire. I mean, to, to, to have personal training clients means they're paying $600 to $800 a month to work with you one-on-one. They certainly weren't paying me that. I was getting paid $13 an hour. They were paying the gym that kind of money. Um, but what I realized is I've got these built-in mentors. All of my clients are well-to-do. They're affluent. They've experienced life, and they're living life on some of the best terms. And Jim Franco... I don't know what he saw in me, to be honest with you, but he was the first guy to tell me that, hey, you are different, but in a good way. He was the first guy to help me reframe my ADD, my lack of attention, my OCD in a good way. And he said, if you could just find whatever you're interested in, I said, I've already found it, fitness. I just want to help more people get fit, never mind the physical part of it. When I lost the weight, I got more confident, Jim. I became more consistent. I developed discipline, all these traits that I never had. And I just started vomiting at the mouth. And he said, well, so what do you want? I said, I think I want to open up my own personal training studio so that I can charge this kind of money and not just get paid $13 an hour. And over the six months that I was training Jim three days a week, he would hang out afterwards. I always made sure he was my last client of the day. And he would hang out afterwards and mentor me. And all of a sudden to have a a millionaire who shows up in different cars every day for his workouts. I, I, remember, I was so dumbfounded. I said, Jim, you have so many different cars you show up with. He goes, you're allowed to have as many cars as you want, kid. He always kind of called me kid. Uh, East Coast guy, very 
a very crusty, curmudgeon guy. Um, I said, what do you do for a living? He goes, I run a company. I said, what do you do? He said, I take a little bit of money from a lot of people. I never even heard that term. What he meant is subscription. He had a software company in the automotive industry, and he was taking $149 a month multiplied by thousands of locations, automotive stores, who paid him for the software that they used. And I said, well, how are you here at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? And he said, because I've got a team, and they run the business for me, and I lead my team, and I'm starting to learn about leadership, and, and he's spending time with me, and he's helping me understand things. And when you have someone who is already where you want to be in life and that you look up to, that someone starts believing in you. They, you start writing on their credibility. Well, if he believes in me, maybe I can open up a personal training studio. Maybe I can be successful. Maybe these things that I've been told are limiting traits like ADD, OCD, my inability to have impulse control. Maybe these things, when focused on something that I care about, I can become, I can weaponize and become deadly. And sure enough, man, I, Jim loaned me $50,000 with 8% interest. And after I paid him back, he was still going to be my 50-50 business partner. So I realized that was not the best business deal. So he was a bit of a shark before Shark Tank was ever created. Um, man, I got to tell you, he was like my rich dad. You know, I've got my poor dad who brought me here to this country and said, hey, there's opportunity, go figure it out. Then I had Jim Franco, my rich dad, a successful, financially well-to-do man who cared about his fitness and who kind of, I guess, looked at me as a son uh, and for the first time reframed that. Because I said, well, I've got ADD. I got learning disabilities. I just was going to, hey, if you're going to be my business partner, I got to tell you what every teacher has always told me, which is I'm a liability, Jim. Are you sure do you want to work with me? And he goes, in fact, I remember him saying, he goes, some of my best sales reps are, are former alcoholics. He goes, they're addicts who have overcome their addiction, and now they're addicted to selling my software. And I realized I just need to channel this like his salespeople have channeled their energy. And through with Jim Franco's confidence in me and with his mentorship in me, I was able to reframe and realize this is my superpower. And the rest was history for me. That's amazing. Yeah. What I hear is uh, the importance of mentorship, right? And that brings me exactly to my next question. So uh, when we were at Squire, what was evident for, let me, let me back up the reason why, or how I found Squire, I was literally Googling, uh, boys to men, uh, initiation, uh, weekend or camp, you know, cause I wanted to do this with my son yeah. and then I found Squire and it's interesting enough, their mother also found Squire. Uh, and so she's like, oh, hey, how about I'm like, oh, I just looked at this two days ago, you know. And cool. so when we went there, it was clear to me that uh, something is missing. And you mentioned this earlier, something's missing in our society, this rite of passage. I know some cultures still have it, but I still think it's watered down in the Jewish culture and some Hispanic cultures there's it becomes a party or a, tr a cultural traditional thing but really to to get boots on the ground and and the sweat and sand and the dirt we ate and all of that talk about why is 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 a rite of passage or an initiation so important in your opinion yeah and, and you're right you know so we have what you know for we call a sweet 16 and for for young girls as they turn 16 it's almost like well you've got that and the and the you know they have the bar mitzvah jewish folks have the bar mitzvah the bat mitzvah hispanic cultures there is always a rite of passage these days but it's become a party it's become more of a almost a social signal rather than a true rite of passage and i always have to remind people that the in new guinea 
hundreds of years ago in New Guinea, uh, as the young man, young boy turned 13, 14 years old, the father would conspire with the mom and say, all right, keep him uh, near you. Myself and some of the other men of the community who I trust are going to come and kidnap the son. And when we come to kidnap our son, I want you to put up a fight. He's telling this to his wife. Um, and, and you can read about this in some of Joseph Campbell's writings. Joseph Campbell wrote uh, many great books and was a lecturer. Uh, and one of his best books is The Power of Myth uh, by Joseph Campbell. And so in New Guinea, you imagine the mom has the boy around him at a certain time and the dad comes and the dad and three or four of his friends are wearing these demonic, scary masks with, with these uh, cloaks. And they come and they're, as far as the boy is concerned, like, it's Satan and his helpers trying to steal me, kidnap me from my mom. And mom is putting up a fight, like, oh, my boy, like, oh, my son, he's my dear boy. How dare you? And of course, at some point, she's told to let go. She lets go. The father and those men take the boy outside with those masks on still and begin to beat him up. And it, not not so aggressively, but beat him up in a, to the point where he starts realizing, I need to fight back. Like, I have an opportunity to fight back here. And as he starts fighting back, they let him win. And as they let him win, the dad takes off his masks, mask and puts it on the son. And he says, son, you've now won the right to sit at the table with us men to forge you into a capable, confident, savage servant man of our community. And the Aborigines uh, would take their young men who were 12, 13 years old at night. As the sun went down, take them to the edge of the forest. Uh, they would take a knife and just draw some blood on his arm by cutting him, would hand him the knife, and they would say, go into that forest and don't come back out until the sun comes out. We will be standing right here waiting for you, son. And when you come out, you have won a right to sit at the table to now become a confident, capable man in our community. Because remember, back in the day when there was tribes, um, it, it, the community had to look after themselves. There, there was no real rule of law. And so with that in mind, that young man knew that I'm no longer a boy, that there's different expectations set of me. Those expectations are the way of men. And as Jack Donovan says in his book, The Way of Men, all men must be able to carry their own weight in the four categories of strength, courage, honor, and mastery. And so, hey, you may not be the strongest guy, but be as strong as you can be. And if you're not courageous, that's okay. You better have mastery, as in you better be good at maybe building bow and arrows or building some kind of a trap that can capture an animal. Uh, but you better have mastery and you better have honor, respect, loyalty, trust to the tribe. Those are the four things that all men still today look for in each other. Strength, honor, courage, and mastery. And in the absence of that, we look down on those men. I know it's like supposed to be an all-inclusive world and, well, we live in a different time, but not really. We're still those cavemen who I realize if you and me and a group of men are in a room together and there's a big, loud explosion outside, I'm going to look for the men who have strength and courage to go and take on that problem, figure out that problem. If we need to figure out how to open this door, I'm going to look for the men who have mastery of how to unlock this door to get us out. And in the absence of that, then you're not carrying your own weight, which means you become a liability to the tribe, to the community. And so that has all but gone away. And when people go, well, but what if? I have to remind them two things. Young girls 
have a factory installed rite of passage. They reach a certain age, 12, 13 years old, where all of a sudden they have something very overwhelming happen to them. They have a menstrual cycle. They are bleeding and it is painful. And mom has to let them know that, honey, you are no longer a little girl. You are now a woman. So not only does a physical thing happen where she's bleeding, she's cramping, she's hurting, but she's also developing breasts in that time. And there's a physical change. There's not much physical change for a young man at that age. Yeah, you get a little angrier because of the testosterone in your body. You might develop a little peach fuzz around your mustache area, but your body doesn't change. There's no bleeding that takes place. There's no massive hemorrhage that happens that says you are now a man. The fathers must create that. And my proof of that is in houses where fathers are either unavailable emotionally. In other words, they live in the house, but they're just emotionally unavailable. They're, I, I still call them deadbeat dads. They're just the ones that provide. Well, I provide food and shelter. That is the bare minimum. Today, the government can provide food and shelter. So if all you provide is food and shelter, you're not a man. The government can fit your role. You were supposed to be a the mentor to that young man. You're supposed to be an example to that young girl, to your daughter of what a man is, what a chivalrous man is. You're supposed to be the leader of your family. And if you're not, then someone else will step into that role. And what you see is young men looking up to the local gangbangers because there's always going to be a rite of passage. You know, the military is a rite of passage. In the prison, there's a rite of passage. There's always a shot caller and then everyone else. In, in, in the streets, when a father is absent, there is, no, there is no father in that household. Those young men are looking to gangs or the hoodlums that are older boys who are doing things in a group environment because we are pack animals. We're not lone wolves. We are supposed to be like a wolf pack. And so if you're a father, you have this massive responsibility, whether you're in the house or not, to groom that young man into a formidable, competent, capable man of society. Yeah, that's that's beautifully said. And, you know, I know you have a lot of experience with that. And I, the way I came across this was through doing research on ADHD. There's this concept of the hunter and the farmer, right? The hunter being the ADHD brain and the farmer being the non ADHD brain and the hunters, I believe, went out to hunt, you know, to, to feed their families. And then they would get attacked by wild animals and stuff. And if that's your first time as a young man going on a hunt, then that part of your brain's operating system, the sort of initiation is turned on. You're like, oh, shit, I got to take in more information. So I survive. Right. right. And I think we've passed that down. We've handed that down from generations to generations. I think the problem is, and you said something to this earlier, that today we don't hunt anymore, right? So we've become comfortable. And I mean, we hunt in different ways, but like you said, some, some men may think they're hunting for, uh, uh, to bring home the bacon, but that's just food and shelter. Right. But what, uh, we're talking about impulse control. How, what, what do you uh, recommend? Like how can we today, there's so many, uh, distractions and addictions in our world. How can we control our impulses to actually be in the moment and create meaningful yeah. results? I think one of the largest, one of the biggest problems plaguing society right now is the lack of impulse control. And it's exactly for the reason you just said, Roman, because there's so much stimulus coming in that it's impossible. I mean, you've got YouTube, you've got Instagram, you've got TikTok, you've got Facebook, you've got Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, you got so much content coming at you. Our brains are not designed to deal with that. And so we have to keep shifting 
And each time you shift, and if you if you remember when TikTok came out, I don't know, whatever, six, seven, eight years ago, I remember people talking about who's going to watch a 10 or 15, 20 second video. Like people want to see long form. It conditioned us to actually have less of an attention span. And so one of the highest levels of currency right now, one of a, a superpower is to be able to actually pay attention for a prolonged period of time until you accomplish a task at hand, which is impulse control. How do you do that? Well, you do that in the areas that matter most, your health and fitness, your mental well-being. And so, you know, if you were to go into the gym, uh, the average guy I think has these days has 35 to 40 pounds to lose. The, the walking dad bod, where they're like, not quite fat, but they're certainly not an example of health and fitness. Uh, 30 to 40 pounds, so that's still a sub substantial amount of weight, and that sets you up a higher category for uh, diabetes, for uh, blood pressure, for cholesterol issues, for heart disease, for Alzheimer's, all of that. In fact, they recently found that Alzheimer, Alzheimer's disease is just type 3 diabetes is what they call it now because people are eating so much sugar. But anyways, all that aside, if that guy says, you know what, I have no impulse control, therefore I'm not able to get anything done, what is the fastest way I can build impulse control in this world where there's so much stimulus coming at me so quickly? One, I would say shut off all the notifications on your phone and you decide when you're going to go and check in on social media instead of letting the notifications tell you to stop what you're doing and then come and pay attention to this. And look, I have a million followers on Instagram. I have almost 700,000 subscribers on YouTube. I have half a million people on TikTok. I certainly want people to get notified and then to come and watch my shit. But I have a duty and an obligation to tell humanity to not do that come watch my stuff. But when you decide to, all my notifications are turned off on all my devices because I don't want to be under the control of the creators out there. I am the creator. I am the creator of my thoughts, my ideas, my game plan, my strategy for the day. And if I am distracted by notifications, I am now giving up self-control to a device or to the creators out there. So first of all, you do that so that now you don't have the temptation to impulsively, right? So we have to first cut temptation. Cut the temptation out so that you don't impulsively go do that. Second, set a time. Like I have a time three times a day, 9 a.m., around 2 p.m., then around 7 p.m., I will check my social medias because I make a lot of money from social media. I put up a lot of content. Yes, I have a team that puts up content for me. In fact, just on the other side of the screen, there's Maine with a camera you know, pointed at me and this will become a piece of content for us. But still, I want to check the stats. I want to see what's going on. I want to put something up there that's very unique and specific for me. But I have specific times throughout the day, 9 a.m., 2 p.m., around 7 p.m., where I will do that. And I've taught myself, conditioned myself, that I'm not going to be on there for more than 15 minutes because I've got a family. I've got kids. I've got a son. I've got things to do that are far greater in value than social media. So have structure. So one, you, you get rid of the temptation by turning off notifications. Two, you set up a structure, and then you follow that structure. And then three, now that you're 30, 40 pounds overweight, and most dudes are, in fact, even more, go to the gym and do the thing that actually will teach you impulse control, which is work out consistently, eat right consistently, show up every day for your workouts until you lose the weight, which means you have to require consistency, discipline, focus, Delayed gratification, those four things together create impulse control so that when you are consistent, 
focused, disciplined, and you can delay gratification, immediate gratification. I will delay this marshmallow now. There's a study they did with little kids, and they said you can have one. You've seen this, right? Yep. yep. You can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait 10 minutes, we'll give you two, right? And I think majority of the kids just ate that one marshmallow, and the handful that waited 10 minutes, and then they said, well, if you wait 20 more minutes, we'll give you three. Studies showed later those kids who waited the longest had the most successful and happiest life because they had delayed gratification. They were willing to do that. So for some people, it might be factory installed. The rest of us can build delayed gratification by doing something that takes a long time to get the results. But in this world of immediate gratification, Roman, we're so used to getting the dopamine hits quickly by scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and seeing what's on here and who's doing what and having that FOMO. Uh, there's a term for this, and it's the same term. I forget what the term is, but this is what uh, what slot machines do in Las Vegas and all the casinos where you put the dollar in, you pull that arm or you push the button, and oh, it's called variable response. You don't know what the response is, so you're going to push the button again, push the button again, push the button again, and oh my God, I hit a tiny jackpot. That created a positive reinforcement to push the button again, push the button again. So now people scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Variable response has conditioned them to look for dopamine, quick, easy dopamine hits. Well, if you go to the gym, you got to spend an hour in there to get that dopamine hit. That is delayed gratification, focus, consistency, discipline. And then for your body to change, to lose that 30, 40 pounds, your abs to come out, your guns to stop to start popping up, you now have to put in months that creates serotonin which is the better dopamine even better than dopamine is serotonin now you have absolute impulse control where you can literally walk by phones that are on and ready to take your attention and you could just say peace out i don't need it um, now are people willing to do that unfortunately not and so they suffer on the back end of it with anxiety depression regret shame poor health bad role model divorce uh, vices, uh, pornography, infidelity, uh, alcohol, drinking, all these things to escape because they are unhappy with the way they live their life. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly what was going to be my next point, right? Addictions, right? Um, I believe uh, addictions are distractions we can no longer control. And that's exactly what you said. If you uh, have these impulses for, for you know, short-term gratification and, and you keep you stay in it, your brain wires to that, right? It's now addicted to those dopamine hits. And I see this all the time. I myself, I'm in a 12 step program around addiction and I'm rewiring my own brain and it is totally possible. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I've lost 30 pounds in a year and a half and that was an hour and a half hike every day. And now three, four times to the gym, I eat very healthy and it feels amazing. Like I'm proud of myself. I'm not in a place yet where I'm creating, 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 but I can see it coming. It's coming back, you know, yeah. that's a year and a half. And, you know, um, but um, I just want to talk about fathers and sons. I uh, interviewed Gabor Mate, who uh, is an expert on addiction, ADHD, trauma. And he told me in my case, because I said, well, you know, in your opinion, here's my son, seven years old, he was diagnosed. And, you know, this is what, what I was doing. I had an infidelity in my marriage. And, 
And he just looked at me and he said, yeah, you, you just weren't emotionally available. You just weren't present with your son. That's most likely the cause for your son not feeling safe and having to check out of the moment and look somewhere else for safety, excitement, whatever it was. Right. And that was, that really, that really hit me. So wanted to just ask your opinion in regards to fathers being present to, with their sons emotionally, physically. We talked about uh, food and shelter, obviously financial. Um, what have you seen that changed uh, uh, those relationships between fathers and sons that you know works in your own family or just with your clients? Or- yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll start with my own family, but a lot of these things that I'm about to mention to you, I've also seen happen with other families, which only then to me is evidence and proof that this is truly the path. One, we have to make our family a priority over this. And right now you can see I've got text messages waiting for me to read and hear uh, because I'm at work, I'm in my office, we've got a bunch of team members here. I'm getting messages from team members all around the clock. Before I leave HQ today, either here in my office or sometimes I'll go to the local uh, gas station here, I'll park at the gas station, listen to some music, in my car while I clear out my emails and my text messages, and then I even turn off my email and text notifications. So that when I get home, look, man, I'm human. I'm gonna be tempted to respond to a text message if I see it, but I realize after work hours, even if the headquarters is burning down, there's not much I can do. So somebody will notify me. And I'm not Elon Musk and we're not sending a rocket to Mars. And so I don't need to be connected to my company every second of every second, as much as people think that we're all that important, we're not. You're not. And so I realized I need to turn off all notifications and make my family the priority. And so that's thing number one, because there was a time when I didn't do that about 10 years ago. So I'm 49 now. I was 30, 38. So 11 years ago, uh, I remember I was on my phone, but still talking to Chloe, my daughter. She's 16 now. So she she was, I don't know, probably five years old back then. And I was sitting sitting on a on a chair talking to my daughter or listening to her while on my phone. And all of a sudden I felt hands touch my face and she grabbed my face and she turned it towards her. She goes, Dad, I'm talking to you. And even though I thought I was listening, what I was sending to her is that this is a higher priority, the phone, than she is. And in that moment, I realized, holy crap, if I keep this up. Don't be surprised if your daughter ends up on the pole one day or making a very bad decision because she has daddy issues. And so that very quickly helped me realize that this phone cannot compete with my family. Uh, That is thing number one. Thing number two, with my son, um, I said, look, we're going to get into as many things. I'm going to develop as many uh, uh, um, hobbies with him as possible. Now, my dad taught me how to play ping pong. Outside of ping pong, I really didn't do much with my dad. Right. Are you a ping pong player as well? Oh, yeah. Kind of. So I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot of ping pong players. And so <laughs> when I tell people ping pong, they're like, wait, you really? I'm like, yeah, I'm oh, pretty good at it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Next time. And next so, time. <laughs> perfect. So so when Andrew was like four or five years old, I you know got him a paddle and I got a nice ping pong table and we started playing. And he's 18 now. We still play several times a week. And then when he was eight or nine years old, I started taking him to the gym with me. I've got a friend who owned the gym. I didn't have my my gym yet, BK Strength. And so I took him to my friend's gym. He started working out with me. And then I, you know, as I I got him into cars and I would show him different parts of the car, the exhaust pipe, the engine, the carburetor and what, what it does. Today, I have a lot of cars and he's a big car fanatic as well. And so we're into cars together. 
I exposed him to my music, you know, rap music from 80s and 90s, as well as rock music from 80s and 90s. He's introduced me to the god awful music of today, which is like mumble rap and all that shit. But I try and understand it. And I and I say this to you because um, we have this thing where my son and I at least three to four times a year will go on an adventure together. It might be a two day adventure to Malibu where we're surfing for two days by the Malibu Pier. Uh, one of the more recent ones we went to. Um, we went we landed into Dallas and then we drove to Oklahoma City and we worked with a professional knife fighter teaching learning how to be a how to knife fight. And he taught some of my friends who are in, in former SEAL Team 6 guys and actually Dom Rosso, who makes these amazing dynamis blades, uh, who's a former SEAL Team 6 guy. I said, Dom, I, I, I have several of your knives. You've sent them to me. I love them, but I sure would like to be proficient with them along with my son. He says, hey, man, I'll send you some trainer knives. They're made of aluminum and they're blunt. And he said, go see Harley Elmore in, in Oklahoma City. And I share that with you because we had such a good time for two days and out of our element, like you got to have these adventures. And, and I think, um, wild at heart, great book in wild at heart, John Eldridge, the author says that, you know, every man needs a battle to fight an adventure to have and a beauty to rescue. And I continue to date my wife. We have our date nights every Wednesday. My daughter and I go on dates at least once a month. And my son and I do these adventures together. We have so many hobbies that we work out together every night and we play ping pong and I'm into his music. He's into my music and uh, I play the drums. He plays the guitar. And so like people go, well, are you into all these hobbies? I go, no, there's this thing called a one wheel. I don't know if you've seen a one wheel. It's like a skateboard with a motorized tire. Yep. Bro, it's a fucking death trap. It's a death trap. However, my son's into it. So I'm into it. And because I surf, I actually got pretty good at it. And so we'll be one wheel together, but I will do anything I can to stay connected to my kids and my family, because if I don't, inertia will pull us apart and they'll start hanging out with the wrong kids, making bad decisions. And proof of that is this last year. So my son is now in his senior year, but last year he was uh, um, a junior. Well, so uh, yeah, a junior, his friends went to the prom last year and he he said, hey, dad, when my friends come back from the prom tonight, they're going to text me and I'm going to go hang out with them at one of their homes. I said, you got it, son. So we played a couple of games of ping pong that night. We worked out and then we were watching uh, actually Pulp Fiction together. And uh, around 930 at night, hey, dad, my friends are on their way from L.A. We're going to go hang out at their house. All right, son, be safe. And I always tell them, don't do stupid things at stupid times of the day with stupid people because you'll get stupid results. And he goes, check. He drives off with his his car. Uh, and, you know, his friends live in, here in town. Chino Hills is small. By the time I even get ready for bed, 20 minutes later, I, I, I hear his car driving back down. So I'm just waiting in the kitchen. I'm like, dude, you're back. What happened? And he's got tears in his eyes. He goes, well, I know we're going to do stupid things, or at least they're going to do stupid things. And I'm going to feel the pressure of doing stupid things. And so I decided to come back. And he goes, and he said it with humor. He goes, he goes, I hate my life. And now keep in mind, he's jacked, he's ripped, he's got a job, he's got a girlfriend, he's got a car. I go, I know, buddy, and I hugged him. He hates his life because he's been, he's woken up to the realities that most people are peasant, slave-minded, they will do drugs, they will do stupid things, and they will go down the path that is not ideal for them. But all those lessons didn't happen by me sitting him down one day and saying, as your father, you should do this. It was years of surfing and ping pong and working out and the drives to and from these places and in airports 
as we're having these adventures that I got to pour into him. And then he knew that where he was going, it was going to lead to a bad decision on behalf of his friends. And that he might end up making a bad decision as well. So he reluctantly came back home and he says, I hate my life. And he says that because he knows that he can't go goof off like his friends can because he's meant to do more. Um, and obviously he loves his life. But but when you pour into your kids over the years and you make them a priority over your business, over your phone, over all this other bullshit, um, it pays back in dividends. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that. And and what I'm hearing there, which I heard this yesterday uh, in a room where someone said the opposite or, you know, the, the contrast to addiction is connection, right? Because when you're connected to, let's say, your son, you're not in that moment selfishly trying to do your own thing that is distracting or that could be an impulse or a, an addiction. And so I just think that's a great example of uh, not just talking at them, but yeah. being connected with them, right? Exactly. And, and and that's a, to me, that's a role model. I think you're really modeling that. And I, I'm going to take that to heart because I recently realized how I'd been kind of dimming my my fun light, you know, become too much of a parent or a dad or an adult. Um, and even just yesterday, uh, Kai called me and he's like, dad, I want to get a mini fridge for my room. You know, I need, I need to have some, some healthy drinks in there. And he's like, I want to go to target. And it was like later and Sunday, I was like, Oh God, I'm like, let's go. So him and I went to target and it was, is it a fun trip, you know? And while you're at it, you talk, you know, you exactly. talk about life. They exactly. need, it's almost like they need to be distracted by something they're interested in so that they can open up. Dude. Let me tell you how right you are about that. Grown ass men. So as you know, we also run the project, right? And the project is for grown men who, you know, want to level up in their faith, family, fitness, and finance so they can live a life of fulfillment. Grown men, I'm talking entrepreneurs who are making great money. I'm talking people who are doing well in life. Some of them are first responders, former military guys. So these are well-rounded men. And when I get to meet up with them, you know, after graduation, I get to meet up with them from time to time when we have our retreats and stuff. I'm like, hey, man, how's life? Everything good? They're like, yep, all good. Cool. And but I could sense something is up because I'm Papa Bear and I know. And so I'm like, hey, man, get in the truck with me. Let's you and I go get the ice for for the uh, for the coolers. And so we're driving and I had figured this out with my son. And long ago, he was interested in some girl. Uh, I think he was like eighth or ninth grade. I'm like, hey, buddy, I, I see you keep talking to that girl every time I come to pick you up. You know, she's someone you're interested in. Nope, not interested. I don't want to talk about it. Cool. That weekend, he and I went surfing and we're just driving. It's a 40 minute drive from Chino Hills to the beach. And he goes, hey, dad, you know, uh, you know, that girl that you saw me talking to? Yeah, though, this is her name and this is who she is. And, you know, how do I know if, um, you know, she's interested in me and blah, blah, blah. And I realized, holy shit, when two men are talking face to face, it's never going to work. We're two fists up. The moment you're doing it, making an adventure, you're headed somewhere to do something. It doesn't matter if you're hiking together, if you're driving together, surfing together. That guy that I was telling you about who came to the uh, project retreat, as we're driving to go get the ice, a truck full of ice, he just starts talking to me. So this is what's going on in my life. I'm like thinking in my head, 10 minutes ago, you said everything's fine. You don't, There's nothing to talk about. Now we're having a deep, meaningful conversation that helps me and him. And so in that way, it's 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 in the adventures that a father gets to really mentor his son or daughter, man. Uh, yeah. And I know it's not convenient with the busy life we have, but man, is it worthwhile 
when you realize yeah. like the outcome it's going to produce in that young man or young woman. It's amazing what, what works with my boys for some reason is hot water. When we're in a, in a hot tub, it doesn't matter in a motel, friends, parents' house. The moment we're in a hot tub, like two minutes in, they open up. I'm like, oh my God. Like I had a conversation with both of my boys about separate issues, but it was just like pouring out. You know, I think there's that comfort. It's warm. Yeah. It's you're together in a close, intimate environment, you know? So I totally agree. I think that's, that's a great, uh, a great thing to remember. Well, uh, Bedros, you're, you're a busy man. Uh, I think we've talked about a lot of uh, uh, great things. I'm excited to see uh, what this episode causes out there in the world. I think this is going to be really great for fathers. I mean, obviously parents, but fathers who are listening, um, we're going to, we're going to put all the, the, the links in the show notes where people can reach out, hear about your products, Squire and so forth. Is there anything else that you would like to say, uh, before we part ways about life in general, about what's next in the world, how we can all, you know, withstand what's coming, what's happening, any last uh, piece of advice? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the best things I could probably share with everyone watching or listening to this is that to understand that there's more within your control than you think. And oftentimes we we think there's less that we can control and we feel that there's more, the locus, is, the locus of control is external, meaning if we just had a better president, if I, we had a better governor, if interest rates dropped and inflation went away and gas prices fixed themselves, and, and if my wife did this and my kids did that and my business partner did this and competition didn't do this, I have to remind people that there's only three C's in life that you have to worry about. You control what you can control, and there's a lot more things you can control. I can't control who the next president is. I can't control if... Hamas is going to attack Israel again, or if Ukraine is going to extract more money from the United States, I can't control any of that. Why am I going to bitch about it? Instead, I will control how much money I make. I will control the security and the quality of life for my family. I will control my circle of influence that I have, who's my tribe. I will control my physical health, mental health, emotional health, so that I could be a asset to my family. There's a lot of controls that I have that I don't need to delegate out to the world. So control what you can control, cope with the things that you can't control, and then concentrate on what counts. And when you think about what really counts, it's only a small, finite amount of things. And if you concentrate on those things and then control all the controllables and you can, and you cope with the tiny amount of stuff that don't really, that you are out of your control, I think you have lived a life well lived, man. And I think that's what we're really after. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And again, it was my pleasure. I really thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on and always so inspiring. I just uh, will keep following you for sure. So thank Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Was... I appreciate it. Good seeing you.